Today we're going to endeavor to attempt the fourth Ikar. This is one of the most complex and most philosophical of all the Ikarim that we've, uh, that we've done so far. And uh, what I'd like to try to do with you is to try to translate what can turn into, what can be incredibly deep and um, philosophy into very practical terms. Let's, let's dive straight in. The fourth Ikar, this doesn't get so much press. This is not the one that, we, that, that you hear too much about. There's not so many songs about this one. The, 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 that's what counts. That's what counts. The biggest, the, 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 the things which make it to mainstream Judaism are things which turn into songs. So, um, so the, the, the Ramam says the following. In Pirush Amishnayos, in um, Sanhedrin, this is on the first page. We are only doing the first paragraph. The fourth foundation, Hakadmus, is... Kadmus, what does that mean? Kadmus is... From the word Kedem. What does the word Kedem mean? Beginning. beginning, early. Right? The fact that there is a beginning. There is a beginning. This being who is described is the absolute first. Meaning, who is this, who's this being? Is God. God. God preceded everything else. Anything else is not earlier than him. There are many proofs for this in many books. This is what the Pasuk is teaching us when it talks about the Elokei Kedem, the powers of, of origin, of, of, the, of, the, of the old, of, of your, if you want to uh, use the nice good old Hertz translation. It is a basic tenet of the, the book of Moses that this world had, um, has a, it was started. Hashem fashioned it and created it. After, what's heder? This, this, this is a very important word when it comes to Raman philosophy. An absence of everything else, meaning... There was nothing, and then there was something, which means to say that there wasn't a simple ma- a, a manipulation of something that was into something else. There was nothing, and it became something. Yesh me'ayin, what we call ex nihilo. V'zeh shetira shani sovev sovev inyan akadmus ha'olam, lefi das ha'afudosofim, and you're going to see that I actually spend a lot of time on this, and he does. We're not going to go through nearly all of it, but the Rambam spends chapter after chapter after chapter in Mora Nevuchim actually trying to prove this point. He spends a lot of time on this. Um, why? Because so that it should be absolutely incandescently clear to you that this is true. And by the way, um, this last line over here, in this, the, over here that he says, and that I spend a lot of time in this, and he refers to the Mora, is actually a line which the Rambam added on later in life. Because just remember, that chronologically speaking, the Rambam wrote his Pirish Mishnah when he was on the run from Spain all the way down to the Middle East. And he wrote the Moran Nebuchim as the capstone of his career. So what happened was, is at the end of his career, he went back to the Pirish Mishnah and added this line. This line, in fact, is only to be found in the Kapach editions, which is the most accurate translation of the Rambam's Pirish Mishnah, which was written in Arabic. And he added this at the end of his days. You'll find in a regular Pirish Mishnah, you won't find this line. He's so, he's so strongly, strongly behind this idea that, that Hashem was the only. And there was a starting point to the world that he actually references himself back in the modern of Uchim to say, go take a look at it. Now, very, very fascinating as to how strongly, how, how strongly he is behind this. 
The way it is re- referred to in our Ani Mamins is the following. It's very simply put. Ani Mamin be'emuna shleima shabari yisbarach shemoy hu rishon v'hu achron. Hashem is first and last. Notice what what, what is the Ani Mamin added? The, 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 right, it's interesting, you know, because the Ramam seems to be very much focused on the fact of the beginning, right? That, that's where most of the contention is going to lie, we're going to see in a moment. But the, the, the Animamin is adding on also is don't think, therefore, that, you know, once we're, we're here, we're here. Because there's going to be a point where there is nothing again at the end, and Hashem's still here. Which is kind of, sort of, just a very sobering kind of thought. But, um, but what the Animamin is pointing out is that what's in, that's what infinite time means, is that... There's also, there's, there's also an end point to our existence. And finally, in the, in the Yigdal, the way we say it is, Kadmon l'chol davar asher nivra. Hashem is the, the earliest of everything He created. Rishon ve'en reshis l'reshis He is begi- the beginning. But there is a begi- there's no beginning to His beginning. Because you understand the word beginning itself, of course, is within the context of time. Right? And the problem is, is that Hashem is beyond time. That's, uh, that's, that's what we're trying to say when there's Ein Reishis L'Reishis Ha. Now, um, happens to be, this, is, this, 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 um, this topic requires a very, very heavy thinking cap. This is a very difficult thing. In fact, the Gemara says that, that, that it's, going to be, it's very difficult. You're, going to, you're, going not, you're not going to be able to sustain a, an elongated um, session of thinking about what happened beforehand. You shouldn't, the Gemara says. You shouldn't spend so much time thinking about what was before creation. Very, very difficult to, un- to, to understand. If you do it, it can give you a good headache. Yeah? If you think about it for a long time, really. Um, but the reason why this is important is for, is for the following reason. The Rambam actually enumerates three groups of people who think about things. We're not going to do all of it at all, but I'd like to just do some bracketed off sections in his um, in Morinavuchim where he talks about this. And um, he, he identifies three camps of philosophy. And what's interesting about them is that each of these three camps actually believes in God. Just they have different belief systems as to the world in relationship to God. Okay, so this is, this is where it's interesting. So the first camp, he says, he starts off with our camp. He says, in the, and this is in Source 2. Those who believe in the, the earlier state of the world or its creation... There are, three, there are three camps. Hadas Arishon, the first camp is, The first camp believes in the, in the, in the book of Moses. The entire world, it means to say everything except God. Hashem brought them into existence. From antimatter, from nothing, that he himself uh, um, was um, was existent and nothing else. No malach, no galgal, no angel, no uh, system, no solar system that that existed beforehand. No, no part of that system. And then Hashem decided proactively to take nothing and make it into something. That's a very important line. And therefore, time itself is a creation. That's, that's very hard for us to understand. You see, our operation, our, operation, our logic operates within the confines of time. Right? Everything we think is in terms of time, and therefore we're limited to a linear scale. Right? We, the way we think about things is in a certain framework. We're in, a, we're in the framework of time. 
time itself was a creation. In fact, just to dwell on that for a moment, the Vilna Gaon says that when you see the word voracious, what, is, what does voracious actually mean? He, he, the, that the, the earliest creation, says the Vilna Gaon, was in fact time. Right? If you think about it, the context of all reality is space and time. Right? Space and time. They're the context of all, the, all, all reality, which is very fascinating as they break down when you get to, uh, when you get to uh, um, Einstein physics, as the, as the two become, become one in a certain sense. Now, what's interesting over here is, is that the, the, the Ramam is saying is that time itself is in existence, therefore Hashem is beyond this. Hashem is beyond it, therefore in control of it. That's the point that a lot of people disagree with. How could Hashem be outside of time? Does time really have an outside? This is, this is where the, the, the problems begin. The, um, just jumping down to line 25, in the Rambam, he says, This is the basis of all of the Torah of, Mo- of Moses. It is secondary, um, it is secondary to, um, to, um, all of, to the idea of Yichud. Yichud means that Hashem is, um, Hashem is, thank you so much. I apologize, I think we're just out. If there's anybody who's able to help with sharing, thank you. Um, it is, it is secondary to, that, to the notion of, of Yichud. Yichud, remember we discussed just a few weeks ago, Yichud is that there is nothing outside of Hashem. When it says that Avram Avinu began to call in the name of Kel Olam, the power of the universe, he is referring to the idea of Olam being something, something eternal. So what was Avram Avinu talking about? What were, what, what were all the people in the, uh, tuning him out in good old Mesopotamia? Was about this, the, this issue. Was the idea that in fact that everything you see over here is finite and Hashem's not. That, that, was, what, that was what Avram Avinu was, was proclaiming on his soapbox those days and that people were slowly becoming to rea- coming to realize themselves. <coughs> now, not everybody agrees. What's the, he goes now into, into Platonian philosophy. In Plato, in the second thing is, um, Anybody who's, who's acquainted with philosophy will know the second opinion. It's impossible, says this group of philosophy, that something could ever come out of not something. Right? It's impossible that, that there could suddenly be such a transition. And similarly, you can't have something which was and then suddenly disappears from existence. Which is fascinating today. If you're looking into astronomical um, phenomena, you start talking about lots of things going on out there. There's a lot of questions that we have today in physics which actually relate to, uh, directed to this point, which people could not conceive then. It cannot be that you have something which now is and has parameters and you can define which could not be defined before and because it wasn't. It doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make sense in this group of philosophy. And so therefore, <coughs> to, give a, to make it more practical, 935, and this group therefore believes there was an existence which was at the same time as God. Remember, this group belie- believes in God. But God was there at the same time as something else. We'll call it basic building blocks of matter. Okay? And they existed at the same time, always. The universe and God. 
ולא יאמינו שהחומר כמה לא סוי יישא עליה במציאות, אבל הוא סיבס מציאותו והוא לא על דרך מושל כחומר ליועצר או הברזל לנפח. So God was there, and God took that material, and He now put it into shape. He, he fashioned it, it's like, the, it's like the, the, the smith, who's now blowing into something and fashioning that which is already existing into another, into another form. Which mean, uh, by the way, when you, when you go through uh, the regular you know, high school textbooks of physics, they all start off the same way. And all of matter is divided into three sections, or three uh, parts, which is gas, liquid, and solid. And um, everything in the universe consists of matter. And the only thing we can do is change its form and state. Right? That's, uh, that's, that's the basic intro- introduction of all chapters of all physics books. Um, I remember I, was, I, I actually, w- when I was in, I, uh, I did ninth and 8th grade together. So I remember what I did is I compared all the physics books and just to see exactly how much was really being added to the curriculum every year. And it was really just that, 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 basic, uh, that basic sentence being expanded each textbook. Was, uh, was the starting point of each textbook. Could be different in America. I'm hoping the physics remains constant across the Atlantic. But, um, <laughs> but at, the, at the end of the day, <laughs> right, the, besides the toilets flushing in the opposite direction, um, that's, that's, a, that's a south-north issue, not so much of an east-west issue. Um, but at the end of the day, so it's, it's, um, it's the, the, the conception of, these, of, of this group of philosophers, which he later, later on says is, is the, on the foundation of Galen and, um, and Plato, is that, um, is that really the interaction of God to the, to the world was simply just playing with that which existed at the same time as him. So Hashem sort of padded it into a certain form, and now we have the world. So is he the creator? Of course he's the creator, but he's more, more than the creator. It would be a safer way to say he is the fashioner. Now, it happens to be in, in Hebrew, we have different words for that. There's a difference between a fashioner and a creator, right? The, the, the word to fashion something is... Yotzer, right? Yotzer means to say that you take an existence and you sort of put it into a form. But the word that we use for creation, ex nihilo, is bara, is to, is to take there was nothing and poof, now there is something. That's, that's a, there's a, the Hebrew actually has a different word for that. We're going to see that's actually under dispute in just a moment. In Yom Kippur davening, we go through the whole thing, in a kachomer, yes. wouldn't, that, wouldn't that be... Good, good, good. That's a very good question. So, you know, in that, in that, uh, that, uh, that piot that we say, um, and we talk about the power that God has over us, um, that is certainly now, you know, meaning to say that Hashem is the power of us now and in our lives, and certainly on an annual basis, we are saying that Hashem has full control to either continue or not continue um, our, our project, which is, uh, which is our life. Um, what, we, what the Ram is saying is, let's go back to the very beginning, when, when all of life started, when all of everything started, at that point in time, it wasn't yet Sira, it was Bria. Right? That, that's, that's what things going on. Some people would argue on that e- even now. Some people would say, and we, we're going to see that the Tanya and the Nefesh Achayim would say that no, even now is a constant process of recreation from, from nothingness on a moment-by-moment basis with the history intact. Right? That, that's, 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 why, that's the way Kabbalah looks at it. Which means to say that there's always a constant ex nihilo. The Ramam doesn't hold, uh, uh, appreciate that. The Ramam says that there was, and now it's, con- now, and now it's per- perpetuation, which is more in, li- in, li- in terms of that, or, or in line with that. The third group is, is a little more complex. This is Aristotle. And um, the, the basic difference, without reading it inside, because the terminology is extremely difficult, the basic idea of um, Aristotle is very similar to Plato, that, that Hashem existed, that God existed at the same time as reality, 
It's just that there were certain things in the world which always are and are never changing. So, for instance, time, motion, the heavens. And there's certain things in reality which, as opposed to Plato, which actually could change and could be warped or, or moved into different places. There's certain things which actually always were, and they're sort of the parameters of existence. And the Rambam doesn't take the... The Rambam, in general, is an Aristotelian. Right? The, Rambam, the Rambam is a man who is based on Aristotelian philosophy, and he spends the next few chapters, he goes on to the next chapter to give the eight proofs for Aristotle. He, goes, he gives you eight proofs for him, and then he goes on to say, well, we don't believe in them, one by one, and he says, that I'm only going to present the proofs for Aristotle because he's the only one who deserves, um, the, d- deserves actually discussing, and then he goes on to describe how the Torah system doesn't believe in this, that there was a constant, there was a, a God at the same time as creation. Now, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into this. The way the Riva describes this, in fact, these, these philosophers, it hints to them in, in, a, in a very subtle way in the Rambam, in the, in the third source. The Rambam, as you've seen, it describes that a person that believes that there, that there, was a, there, there wasn't a creation is a heretic. And the Riva says in the second paragraph of source three, the Riva says, that the, he wasn't alone in um, the first. Omar Avram, um, um, Avram says, Like those who say, your God is a great former, right? A great um, shaper. But he found very good uh, materials to use. Right, He came along and he opened up his art closet and there were a lot of things that he could use and so he used them to make the world. Says the rival included that type of person, referring to Plato and Aristotle, are, are part of heresy. That's where, that, that's where the problem begins. Um, and that, this is what he's hinting to. Like that person who said, and he's in a veiled reference over here. Now, you would think at this point in time, so where does the Ramam get it from? Right? So the Ramam is so adamantly, so adamantly uh, um, in favor of this. Where does the Ramam actually learn this from in the first place? Where, where, where's the starting point? Where did he get this from? As opposed to Aristotle and as opposed to Plato. Aristotle, by the way, was not so, so strongly stuck. The Ramam shows that, right? that Aristotle pro- pro- professed this as a, as a conjecture more than a, a theory, actually. But in the end of the day, where did the Ramam get this from? Where is it clear to us that the world, that Hashem actually precedes the world, that everything was created? Like, just thinking about it for a moment. Where did that start? Mark? Okay, so, so I would have thought, right? I would have thought that Bereshus Barada came that in the beginning Hashem created, that that should be sufficient, um, sufficient um, um, uh, grounds for it. Interestingly enough, the Ramah himself says that it is, it is totally... It is totally logically plausible to read the account of creation and still believe that there were building blocks of creation beforehand. What, what the Greeks called hiuli, right? There's, uh, there's, there's two different ty- types of matter. He, he thinks that reading through Boratius, you, you could come to the wrong conclusion about the Kadmus Olam. And in fact, he says if you read the entire Torah, not Tanakh, if you read the entire Torah itself, you, may, you won't have necessarily the grounds to be able to, to argue that. Now, the Rambam goes, goes on and argues philosophically. He spends paragraphs and, and numerous, numerous points in proof to try to prove philosophically that this is true. You know, the Rambam comes out by, by saying, which is so interesting, the Rambam ends, up, ends off by saying that, um, that really there, there's arguments on either side, 
There's an argument for Aristotle, there's an argument for himself. He agrees that there are some attacks on his own argument. But he said, you know what? You know what pushes the scales? You know what tilts the scales? Is the Divrei Nevi'im, is prophecy. Isn't that interesting? This is the Rambam. This is the Rambam who is the, the paragon of, of, of logic, of philosophy, of intel- intellect. And the Rambam says that this particular point is so much in the balance that actually you need to have tradition to really tilt the scales fully toward, in his direction. And the Rambam, uh, one of the examples, he actually quoted one of the examples in, his, um, in, his introdu- in, in, in the Pirish Mishnah, so we saw Me'ona Eloke Kedem, that's one example of a hint to it, that's actually in the Torah itself. But, but one most explicit example of this is in Yeshayahu, this is actually the first source, back a page. He says, Ko Amar Hashem, and I apologize, this is actually the real name of Hashem, so we, we should just be careful not to throw this and the, these sources anyway, we should try to put these in Shemus. I'll, I'll be happy to collect them at the end. Ko'amar Hashem, Melech Yisrael, V'go'aloi Hashem Tzavakos. This is what Hashem says, who is the redeemer of Israel. Ani Rishon, V'ani Acharon, Umibalada En Elokim. I am first, I am last, and there is no power besides for me. So the Rambam says that you need to have prophetic revelation in order to be able to get to this point. Very interesting. What, what, there's only one problem with that, and that is, let's think about this for a moment. What's the problem with, with, with that? If it's only tradition, it's only for, uh, um, uh, uh, that it's only prophecy that got, the, uh, got, the, um, that got us to this point. Which is, by the way, is very powerful. That's one way of knowing truth. If God tells you explicitly, that's, that's pretty clear. But what's the problem? Well, no, no, that, that, the Yeshayah is saying it pretty explicitly. I mean, Yeshayah is saying it more explicitly than the Ramam Kazad. But, 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 but let, let's think about this. Who was the first person who came to believe in God by himself? What well, happens to be there were a few people maybe beforehand, maybe Hanach, and there are people who certainly came to themselves. But, you know, we, we sort of look, at, look to Avram as that person. Now, Avram Avinu discovered God without, without prophecy, right? Meaning to say that there was something, Avram was able, conceptually, whether it be looking into the universe, whether it, look, whether it be philosophizing about it, that Avram Avinu was able to come to that. So clearly, somehow, it seems to be that even without prophecy, which is sort of like the, 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 the last nail, which, uh, which closes this issue, you could reach this really yourself, which is what Avram Avinu did, which perhaps, by the way, just y- y- lends us a little more power to what Avram Avinu was actually doing. Now, if you think about what Avram Avinu is doing, meaning, think about it, today the Rabbi has spent years, and he is talking about centuries worth of Greek philosophy, and proof after proof, and books written, and he's still saying that it's still a very it's a ten, tenuous issue. Avram Avinu was able to, to bridge that gap, and to make that decision. Now, the re- the, be, being as this is actually not such a simple, a simple issue, um, it is interesting that there are those in Jewish philosophy who, do, who actually disagree. And this, you, don't, you, don't get, you don't get this, um, this generally. You, 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 this is one of the ikarim that people actually disagree with. And uh, some of our greatest philosophers actually do. As an example, the, um, let's, let's take a look in Source 8. The Kuzari, Rabbi Yehuda HaLevi. So Rabbi Yehuda HaLevi is... is um, Representing himself as the Mele, uh, as the Chaver, who is the wise man, the wise Jewish philosopher, who is speaking to the Kuzar, the Melech Kuzar, who's trying to um, gauge his um, his um, his credibility or the credibility of Judaism, and he says the following: the Chaver says, um, I, I'm, "I'm actually starting two lines in. This is in um, his paragraph 67. He says, amuka." That question which you asked about you know, is, is the world always, or was the world created? He says, you know, that actually the proofs in both directions are equal. Right? Like the Ramam also points out. 
if you're to look, if you're to weigh up all the evidence on both sides, it's a pretty even scale. He says that rather the Chidush is actually a tradition from Adam to Noach to Moshe in Nevuah. Now, notice, interestingly enough, who's he skips out? It's interesting he skips out Avram Avinu over there, just, just fascinatingly. He says the reason why we know it is not because of prophecy, but because of tradition. tradition. It's a little slightly different there. Right? Whereas opposed to the Rambam says it's actually prophecy, he's saying, no, Adam knew this because Adam was created by God and God told him this. And then Adam told that to his son, to his son, to his son, to his son, who got to Noach, to his son, to his son, all the way through. He doesn't include Avram because maybe Avram Avinu was that anomaly who was able to actually discover it. Right? But, but it, the rest of the people in humanity had a note from tradition to, to, break, that, um, to, tie, to break that tiebreaker. He says, V'im hoya mitztarech bal Torah, if somebody who was a person who was well entrenched in the Torah, who was a Baal Torah, to was, was, were to believe in the fact that you have this Hiyuli, this, this Greek primordial matter which existed beforehand, it wouldn't be a defect in their, in their Muna system. So he said, you know what? That doesn't. Okay, there may have been these basic building blocks and God fashioned them. That doesn't disturb the fact that this world is special. God created it at a certain point and that's really, really matters to us, says the Kuzari. That's how far he goes. You see what he's saying? Meaning, there's so this, he, he says... within the confines. He says it's within the confines. Now, he's parted ways of the Rambam here. Remember, the Rambam has said, let's go, let's go back to the beginning. What is the point of an Ikar according to the Rambam? Is... If you don't believe in an Ikar, says the Rambam, right, you're going in the wrong direction. You're off, the, you're, you're off the beaten path. We no longer call you part of the club. Says, says, says the Sefer Kuzari, and this is one of the examples where you see that and the, 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 the Kuzari is well within the constraints and the, and the flow of our, um, of our tradition, says, but let's, let's be careful. Does he say that this is true? No. He doesn't say this is true. He just says that if you were to be on the other side of the camp, if you're on the Aristotelian side of the camp, you would still be within the confines of Judaism. It doesn't. It, does, it doesn't upset the, the entire the entire project, which is which is a very very powerful statement to say. Now, let, let, let's take it even let's take it even further. He he is simply saying I'm I am going to temper. I'm going to I'm, I'm able to take the uh, to absorb and um, and tolerate this view. But there are those who actually said this view. So let's take a look at them. The Ralbag Gersonides. Now, by the way. Gersonides was a philosopher par excellence. Gersonides was, in fact, not only did he write books in Judaism, he wrote books on, on, on um, astronomy. He was the creator. He is, uh, he is attributed to be uh, to the, the, the creator of Jacob's, sec- uh, Jacob's, um, Jacob's stick, which is a predecessor to the sextant, which is a, a navigation tool. I mean, he was a world-recognized figure, um, a Gersonides, as, they, as he's called academically. And in the second line in Source 9, he says, Ki im hoya efshar, the end of the second line in the, the Ralbag, Ki im hoya efshar, advarim kodmim. If it's true that, all the, that, that everything really existed beforehand, Hoya gam kain, Hashem isbarachu aloika, mitzad hanagaso shar hadvarim. Hashem would still be the power and God because he, let every, he controlled everything, uh, everything in the world. Because he fashioned it into what we have today, which is the well-orchestrated world that we have. 
ובכלל, הנה השם יסברך הוא אלוהיך מצד עוצם מדרגוסו שיושפע ממנו מפני עוצם חכמוסו ויכולתו מה שימצא מטוב הסדר והיושרה בנמצאות. זאת אומרת, בין כאוטיק סטארדסט בבוהן, בגוד אינדו דיי Organize it into the well calibrated the world that we have today. So says Gersonides, maybe you could believe in that. And in fact, it sounds like he says you are, you, this, this is a possibility. But nonetheless, we still believe in Hashem, yes? Right, so, so it's almost like, it's almost like that time is an existent which always was. That's, what, that's what's uh, being suggested within this. So this is the background of this. So does time have an outside? No, according to this. Even more so. Remember, remember the, the, that In general, we translate the word, just as we discussed beforehand, bara, to mean creation from nothing to something. There are those who disagree with that. And one of the predominant people who disagree with that is Ibn Ezra himself, also a philosopher. In, in source 10, bara, this is the second word in the Torah, barash is bara lakim. This is what he says, Rovei ha-mefarshim amru sha-briya lahoitzi yesh me'ayin. Most mefarshim say it's ex nielo, says Ibn Ezra. And he goes on to give a slew of examples of where you said Bria might in fact be just fashioning, not creation ex nihilo. And there's a number of examples where the, even Ezra says things like this, and he doesn't, really, he doesn't really say it explicitly, but he says it enough that you realize that he actually believes this. It's interesting, at the end of all these types of enigmatic paragraphs, he usually ends off with, and look at the, the words he uses, and those who get it will, will understand. In, in certain instances, actually, on more, uh, um, or, uh, in, more, in more particular instances, he will say, <laughs> that those who understand will keep quiet. Um, but um, the Ibn Ezra in general, this is just uh, this fascinating in general, Ibn Ezra is one of the most far out of the rationalist camp, and a lot of the views that he expresses have not become what, what we feel as mainstream Jewish tradition. Does that discredit that he said them? Not at all. But in general, you don't hear some of the views that he expresses are not, are not to be uh, found. Similarly with the Ralbag in certain, in certain instances, don't form the mainstream of what we'll call the tradition that we, that we know today. Be it as it may, this, this gives you an example, this Ralbag and this even Ezra, give you an example of just how far people have moved away from Rambam's, Rambam's position. And certainly the Kuzari is saying is, don't Don't cry the cry of heresy when you see, when you see such people saying things. Now, um, I thought that, there's a, that there happens to be a very fascinating um, footnote to this, and that is, is that what the Rambam spent chapters doing in Morinavuchim, in philosophy, ultimately became a phenomenon in physics. And I thought this is such a fascinating thing. Up till, um, uh, up till really the 50s, this was really a debate. And this, uh, this, is, the, this is the Bell Labs Um, version of, of description of this. And remember, they are biased. You'll see in a second why. But um, in the 1950s, there were two theories on the origin of the universe. The first was called the steady state theory. It had been put forward by Herman um, Bondi, Thomas Gold, and uh, Fred Hoyle. And it held that the universe was homo- um, homogeneous or homogeneous in space and time. And it had always been that way, essentially, that the universe existed in a steady state. The rival, more controversial theory sought to incorporate the expansion of the universe into its framework. Edwin Hubble has, had shown in 1929 that galaxies are moving away from one another at remarkable speeds, implying that the space between galaxies is constantly expanding. By the way, just as an interesting historical footnote, 
Edwin Hubble, you know, he did a lot of things. The Hubble Telescope is named after him. He was, you know, he was a very arrogant fellow, as some of these uh, these people tend to be. He wasn't actually the person who discovered this. This was discovered because because of what's called the redshift, which means to say that when you're looking at the stars, sometimes there was a little bit of a background, a red shift, which means to say that they couldn't understand why it was there was like there was a red shadow on the one side of a star. And then they realized that, that was because there was actually movement. The person who discovered this, who discovered this was actually one of, the, one of his lab assistants who was a woman. But she wasn't allowed to be a physicist at the time because women are not allowed to get to that station. So essentially she was the one who actually made this discovery, but he took the credit for it. Anyway, so just in the end of the day, this red shift was, um, was, uh, was discovered by, um, um, by Edwin Hubble and he, said, and he made the following conclusion. A few physicists led by G- George Gamow had taken this notion and argued that the separation between galaxies must have been uh, small in the past. If one stretched the idea to the limit, it meant that the universe had been infinitely de- dense at one point sufficiently back in time. Um, using the laws of physics, Gamow and his colleagues were able to show that the, d- the densest point, which was also infinitely hot, corresponded to the moment of creation. Everything in the universe had emerged from this incredibly dense hot state and in, in a cataclysmic event astronomers called the Big Bang. This was a theory of the Big Bang, which was, which was set forth in the earlier part of the 20th century. However, it remained a theory unproven until 1960, I think it's 64, that there, was, uh, that, um, there were two Bell Lab um, laboratory employees. In, uh, I, it was in southern New Jersey. Um, their name was Penzias and, and Wilson. And um, it goes on to describe the whole story. But in, in Bikitsor, what they were doing, they had, they, they had a very sensitive... Um, um, they had a very sensitive satellite, or um, uh, uh, which in which they were trying to read microwaves from the, um, the in the galaxy, and they found that there was always this background hiss, like a sort of like the white static noise you have on the good old television sets, which we don't no longer have, um, and um, and they couldn't work it out, and they figured it must have been. Um, they thought that it might be in the birds. There were pigeons that were nestling there, so they sent away the pigeons, and the pigeons came back, and then they killed the pigeons, and the noise was still there. And they thought it was maybe it was because of the dropping, so they cleaned, they cleaned the apparatus, and they found it was still there. And they found out that, in fact, it was the background radiation, which was predicted in the Big Bang um, already 30 years prior. And this became the proof of the Big Bang, and, is, and still to today has held, um, has held up as a very important discovery in physics. Now, a lot of people in Judaism will say, well, Big Bang and creation, it's a, it's a stira. You should realize. Forget the years. Just for, forget the years. We can work out the years in, in numerous ways. The Big Bang was one of the greatest advents, if you think about it. The Big Bang means to say that science, that physics, corroborated what the Ramah was trying to argue centuries and centuries beforehand. Isn't it amazing? That's an amazing idea. That means to say that it took us so long to catch up with Nevoah. Isn't that amazing? We've lived through an era that the Rambam would have dreamed through living. Can you imagine? Imagine the Rambam had read the newspaper that day in 1964. Can you imagine what he would have said? He would have published a footnote on his Moran I told you so. Think about it. This is incredible. Aristotle, Plato... And here the Rambam says, look at this, physics caught up. It's a very important point in, just in terms of like our perspective of the universe. Sometimes it takes a long time to understand that the Torah is true. Okay? And this time it took a lot of, a lot of uh, thousands of years. But that's an amazing thing that we've lived through ourselves. Now, what's, what's this, uh, coming down to, to Tachlis? Why is this so important? Why is it so important whether yes, whether no? The, the, the Ibn Ezra and the Rabbi John seem to see it's so greatly important to the, to, to the conceptualization of Hashem. Part of the reason why this is so important is the following. Um, the Chavis Levava says in a very enigmatic sentence in Shara Yechud, the Chavis Levava says in Source 11, 
שכל מה שיש לו תכלו, יש לו תחילה. Anything which has got a, a, a uh, end or a parameter must have a beginning. That's a very important statement. Meaning to say, what he essentially is saying is, that if you have something which is finite, it must have a parameter. Anything finite must have a parameter, which means to say, that therefore that's why God cannot have a, have a parameter, that's why God doesn't have a beginning. But if you want to have God as infinite, that means to say that everything else must be finite. If everything else is finite, it must have an end. If it has an end, it must have a beginning and an end as well. That's where that's that, that we need to understand this. What essentially is at stake over here is understanding God's infinite being in relationship, in relationship to everything else. The way we describe this in the space continuum is the following, the, the Midrash in Bereshah's Rabbah. Vayifah Gabba Mokom, Yaakov Vinu arrives at that place. Rabbi Urav Huna B'Shem Rabbi Ami Omar, Ibnei Ma Mechanin Shmo Shal HaKadosh Baruch Hu, V'Korin Oisoi Mokom. Why is that we call Hashem Mokom, the place? You know, when we say... And uh, uh, you know, we say Baruch Hamokom on the Seder night. Where's another time we do that? Hamokom Yenachem Eschem. We say it's interesting that, that in that context in Avelos, so we say Hashem, in, who is called the place, is, um, is will console you. Why is he called Makom? Shehu Makomo Shel Olam Ve'ein Olamo Makomo. That he is the context context of existence, and the world is not the context of his existence. He is outside of that. That doesn't mean to say just if you need to go into a black hole, into a fifth dimension, to be able to appreciate what's going on. That means to say that Hashem is outside of everything that exists. That means to say that Hashem is the outside of existence. Hashem is outside of everything, and it exists in a bubble within His, within his place. I remember I was having a discussion with an old Russian, we're sitting around a Shabbos, Shabbos table, and we're discussing, you know, the, the power of God. And he said, but how can he be so big? Have you seen how big the, the, the galaxy is? So I said, yeah, well, imagine the galaxy plus one. Meaning like, but yeah, but there's lots of galaxies, so lots of galaxies plus one. The point is that there's always bigger. The more, the more you go. In fact, if you go to Douglas Adams, um, he's got, there's a, uh, there's a restaurant, it's called the restaurant at the edge of the universe, the end of the universe, where they watch the universe exploding again, and they go back in time, and they watch it again and again and again. But the point is that there has to be an end to, to finite matter. There has to be an end to finite time, but there's no end to HaKadosh Baruch The way it's described in Rav Arya Kaplan is the following. Rav Arya Kaplan is a book called Infinite Light on the last page. Infinite Light is a book about God. It's actually a very remarkable read, and it goes through a lot of things we've been doing. The reason why it's so interesting is that, to us, a lot of times, we sort of shy away from talking about, about Hashem for a simple reason, is it feels it's too much to talk about. So he breaks it down into logical steps. He says the following about our topic. He says, once we say that God is the creator of everything, it becomes obvious that there can be no other creator. If, it, um, if, it were, if there were a second creator, God would have created everything but it. The fact that God is the creator of everything, therefore implies that he is one and unique. So you understand that? Meaning, if I were to subscribe to Aristotle that there was basic building blocks of matter, I'm essentially now infringing on my understanding of Hashem as being the one powerful creator. We hear this in the words to, to the prophet. Thus speaks God who created the heavens, God who formed and made the earth. I am God and there is none else. We shall speak uh, at length of God's unity in a later section. As creator of all things, God takes a keen interest in his, known down, uh, in his world down to the smallest details. The same God who spins the galaxies also takes care of the hungry child. Nothing on all creation is too trivial for his attention. The psalmist tells us in his song, He made the heavens, earth and sea, 
and all that is in them. He is the true watcher forever. He provides justice to the oppressed and gives bread to the hungry. This is actually going to be touching on a later Ikar of Ashkacha. The belief that God is the creator of the universe is the foundation of our faith. As discussed earlier, belief in a purposeful creator is, um, is what gives both man and the universe a sense of purpose in existence. The fact that everything was created by one God also provides us with the concept of unity in all creation. That's a, that, this, is a, this is a very, very powerful idea that if we're to remove God from the creation of everything and say that there were so, certain stardust or primordial healing, then really, what am I? I Well, I'm a composite um, being. I'm part of that original matter as it's expanded with God giving a nice final pat. You know, that's, that's kind of like where, where I am. So, you know, so how important am I? Well, as much as God's percentage in the equation is, meaning how much is he invested in me? When what Ari Kaplan is saying is that, no, God is fully and totally responsible for your being here right now, which means to say he cares a lot about your being here because he made you. He didn't just simply fashion you and give you a pat and send you off. The way that Rav Yaakov Weinberg says it is, uh, he has a, he has a, there's a book called Fundamentals in Faith, and with this we'll end. Um, and um, it's actually based on his shirim, it's not his own works, his own writing, it says the following. It is with this principle, in the, the, last, the second last paragraph, it is with this principle that the Raman parts company with Aristotle. The God of Aristotle is merely a docile machine. It cannot choose to act or react. It is what it is. It could not and cannot choose to become creator. It is impotent with no understanding, no awareness, and no freedom. Such a God so limited cannot be served. In contrast, the Ramam's God preceded creation and is free to choose to create. He observes and controls. The world is his. Aristotle's God has no control. Even man has more control than Aristotle's God. It is bound by his own nature, its own nature, and therefore has no relationship with creation. None of the names of Hashem that describe him as he relates to creation would be applicable to the God of Aristotle. It is neither Lord, nor Master, nor, nor Power. In Aristotle's world, there is nothing to serve him, nothing to serve because it is impossible to serve a limited force. What, what both Rav Arya Kaplan and Rav Yaakov Weinberg in the most recent years are essentially saying is, don't leave this discussion on the philosopher's table and say, you know, that's what, what happened then and, you know, it's all very interesting but we can carry on living our lives. Because the way we conceptualize Hashem and essentially the creation of the world affects the way we actually look at and appreciate our relationship with Him. Because if He is the sole and total creator, that means to say He has a relationship with us. And that's the reason why the Ramas includes in the Ikarim. Not because it matters what was actually happening then. I mean, that, that, that's irrelevant. Because it, it matters to what is happening now in our relationship with our Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's the way that this is to be understood and the relevance of it. Next week, Be'ezus Hashem, what we're going to do is the very fascinating last topic that we're going to cover now, which is praying. The Ramam says that we pray specifically to Hashem and nothing else. And that includes Malachi, Ma- Malachim as well. And that's going to be very interesting because next week, once Shabbos, we're going to start talking about Machnesei Rachamim, where we do evoke the angels to help us. We're going to start over here. <laughs> I'm